We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet وسلم, and uh, we are doing some explorations in Mishkat Al Masabi. Okay, what do you got? Okay, one second. Let me open the page. Yeah, check your down. Okay, so we'll start with the forward actually instead good. of continuing on to the next hadith. Sounds good. Yeah. So the forward was basically um, we started with the first understanding of like how hadith came to be uh, because the primary source of our knowledge is from the Quran itself because the Quran is a kalamullah. Um, and so it's not mentioned in here, but uh, it reminds me of a narration where Umar ibn Khattab before he became a Muslim went to uh, to the Prophet and this was at nighttime. So he went to go and attack the Prophet when he was unguarded and there was no one there to see that it was Umar ibn Khattab. And while he went there, the Prophet was reading verses from Surah Al-Haqqah. And as he was reading Surah Al-Haqqah, Umar ibn Khattab began enjoying this poetry. And not the poetry, but it, like the poetic structure and like the actual recitation. And so he thought to himself, actually, he said, you know, what, like, could this be like the work of a poet? What is this? So the next ayah that was actually revealed to the Prophet was, وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرْ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ like, this is not the work of a poet. How little do you believe? And then he said, okay, if it, like Umar ibn Khattab thought to himself, he didn't even say it, he just thought to himself, if this isn't the work of a poet, then it has to be the work of a sorcerer. Then the next ayah is revealed, وَلَا بِقَوْلِكَاهِنْ That, no, this is not the work of a sorcerer. How, how little do you, uh, do, you, do you remember? So then Umar ibn Khattab thinks to himself, okay, if it's not a sorcerer, if it's not a poet, then what is it? Then the next ayah gets revealed. This is revelation from your Lord, the Lord of the worlds. And so uh, Umar ibn Khattab thinks to himself, but what if Muhammad وسلم, made some of this up? Then the next few ayahs are revealed. If Muhammad وسلم, were to add any of his own words after this, then we would have taken by, uh, him by his hand and we would have cut his jugular vein. Uh, basically, the the reason that I that I bring this up is that it shows you the significance of the Quran and it shows you uh, that it is indeed Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's words. And then the the ayah that's mentioned in this uh, in in Mishkat here is Inna anina jamaahu wa Qurana bida qaranahu fatabi'a Qurana thumma inna anina bayana. Surely upon us rests the collecting thereof and the reciting thereof. And surely upon us then rests the explaining thereof of the Quran. So it shows you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised to protect the hadith uh, and promised to protect, sorry, promised to protect the Quran and make sure that none of it's corrupted. So then we come down to hadith and there's a famous narration by Abdullah bin Umar where he used to write down the hadith that the Prophet would say uh, until the Quraysh came to him and said, why are you doing this? You know that the Prophet is but a man, he's just a human. He's going to speak when he's angry and when he's happy. So Abdullah bin Umar stopped for a while until he went to the Prophet and asked him, you know, this is what the Quraysh criticized um, about my writing, so should I still write? And the Prophet yes, and said, yes, continue, uh, continue to write for every word that I say is true. Uh, and so it reminds me of how some of the scholars, they see the Sunnah. Uh, they see the Sunnah as uh, what the Prophet said, did, 
uh, approved or described. So if he approved something, then it's part of the sunnah as well, meaning that uh, the, uh, the, the companions at that time, uh, many of them ended up writing the hadith or at least memorizing it. Then uh, Mishkat, uh, uh, Sheikh Tabrizi, he writes um, that the Arabs at that time had an exceptional memory to the point where we can't even imagine it um, because they were able to memorize specific word-for-word statements that were said many years ago. Uh, and that's how the, they were able to recall exactly what Rasulullah uh, said to them. Um, and so then, uh, basically, uh, in this foreword, uh, he, he talks about the eventual collection of the muhaddithin and the works. So he talks about Bukhari, um, and he talks about um, why Sahih al-Bukhari is considered the most authentic source. And it goes back to what you were saying uh, about the chains that Imam al-Bukhari used, that he used many different chains sometimes to quote the exact same text. Um, and he used very, very, um, he was very strict on his chains to make sure that all of them were authentic, or at least most of them were authentic. Um, and in addition to that, um, he sorted his books into different headings, uh, which, for example, include the Prophet's biography, history, belief, worship, dealings, uh, interpreting dreams, tafsir, uh, and Quran recitation. And he created proper chapters for each heading of that, so that it was very, very well organized, in addition to having a very um, strict structure of, uh, of transmission or very strict chain of transmission. After him came Imam Muslim rahimahullah, who followed in his footsteps. However, the difference between him uh, and Imam al-Bukhari according to Mishkat was that he didn't repeat those chains of narrations um, or he didn't really focus as much as repeating the chains of narrations um, which had approval from its own, uh, its own groups but ultimately it caused his works to become uh, slightly less authentic as a whole compared to Imam al-Bukhari. Then, um, Imam, uh, then uh, the author writes that uh, the next wave, and he sorts it into the, the rest of the Sahih Sitta. Uh, and this book mentions uh, the Sahih Sitta as, uh, as uh, Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Muwatta, Imam Malik, and Imam al-Nasari. But I know um, of many uh, who characterize the Sahih Sitta instead of Muwatta Imam Malik, they put Ibn Majah, rahimahullah. Um, but basically what he said about this third stage of scholars like um, Abu Dawood and Abu Isa Tirmidhi and uh, uh, Abdurrahman Nasari, rahimahullah, he said that they didn't match uh, Bukhari and Muslim in examining those sources. They didn't have as good of, like as strong chains um, or, or as strict of a chain as Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Um, but of course, they're, they're still amazing and they're still amazing tools uh, to use and they lay that foundation, which is the Sahih Sitta. Um, then he talks about different books. Uh, he talks about the, the Mishkat uh, and how the Mishkat came to be, uh, which is that the author of uh, the Mishkat, which is Sheikh Tabrizi, um, he compiled a list of important hadith from the Sahih Sitta and compiled them to one work. So basically, um, it's like, yeah, he basically compiled uh, select hadith from each of the Sahih Sitta and put them into, into one work. And it was actually rega uh, regarded as a very, very strong um, uh, work of literature, uh, work at its time until people started focusing more on the Sahih Sitta them themselves. Uh, but even to this day, it's, it's something that's very, very important. So that's the foreword. Um, and then I also did uh, part of the preface by 
uh, ship the breezy. Oh, so you have more? Yeah, I have okay. more. Um, <coughs> yeah, all the stuff I think you said was good. Uh, very good, mashallah. The, the point I'd like us to consider, um, when we often think of the Sahisita, yeah, you're correct, that uh, Muatta is, is often a seventh book as opposed to, to, to the other six. Uh, part of the reason why uh, uh, Bukhari is the most authentic um, um, uh, Muslim is second, and then, then it goes down from there. Like when we imagine them, we imagine them that like Bukhari is so on top, it's almost right next to the Quran. Muslims are underneath, and the other ones are really, really low, right? But part of the reason why the chains are not as strong is because the topics that they're exploring is different. And so you'll see in the other books much more narrations on things like the heart. So in Bukhari, you don't find too many narrations. Uh, you do have a section on the heart or is on the frailness of the heart. But you don't really have too many narrations on it. If you get into Thirmidhi, you find all kinds of narrations about the heart. And so one reason, if we're looking just from an authenticity perspective, yeah, Bukhari's on top. But part of the reason is Bukhari selected specific narrations where you're more than likely going to have authenticity. So it's already creating a certain type of, 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 of uh, approach to Islam. Um, he's creating a vision of Islam, we'll focus on authenticity, but those will be those narrations where the Prophet talked about these things many times. And so you'll see, as you go through Bukhari, you'll see these same hadith repeated over and over again in different chapters. Um, um, but they're also the kind of things where, okay, I asked the Prophet, or this tribe came to the Prophet with this question, <coughs> and the Prophet said, okay, adhere to these four things, stay away from these four things. And there's other people there to witness it. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, so part of the reason the other four books seem less authentic, and I mean, in practice, yeah, they don't have as strong chains, but part of it is that the topics that they're addressing, it's kind of like saying, Bukhari and Muslim have already addressed these issues. Let's find the other narrations. They're filling in the blanks. And thus, um, uh, what I'm saying is when we look at them as less authentic, it's not giving us the full picture. It's more... That there, they, I mean, there are numerous narrations that are in all the other four that are in the original two, but they're also addressing a lot of things that you won't find in the original two. Uh, that's the, the the main thing that I just wanted to add compared to something else. Okay, continue. Okay, so the preface um, by the first author. One second. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he talks about. Um, just the he, he first talks about uh the the mishkat a little bit more um and his hopes with the mishkat uh and so he he makes the dua about about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepting um the work of mishkat then he goes into uh the religious and the legislative aspect of hadith um so he talks about a lot of uh once again he talks a little bit about the history but he talks about like what happened when the quran came to be and what happened when people started writing hadith. So he starts out with the Qur'an that he says, 
The world experienced a grand revolution. It was a revolution that reigned mercy and comfort and spread a religion all over the world. The religion was one that accounted for human nature and temperament. Uh, what was it? It was the Noble Qur'an and its supreme guidance. Um, and so it was the Prophet Sallallahu clear teachings and his sacred example, which is what we call hadith. And he touched on, I'm going to summarize a little bit, he touched on the importance that some people, uh, they consider only the Qur'an to be the 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 ultimate source. They don't consider it. Some people consider the hadith to not be uh, sources because they say like, oh, you know, like the companions could not have been able to to record it from memory or they have many different criticisms. Uh, and then the pro uh, basically what the author writes is that number one, um, you know, part of Islam itself is following the Prophet Sallallahu That's why we say Muhammad Rasulullah because we follow the Prophet Sallallahu and his teachings. Um, and so part of his teachings are the hadith and his sunnah, um, which are his, his words and actions. Uh, and it goes back to the Qur'an, where the Qur'an says, rasul." Those who follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and follow his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so basically then he, he talks about the Qur'an, uh, but he also talks about uh, the hadith uh, and, and how it started being written. Um, uh, but before that, he, he does talk about uh, more Quranic ayahs that, that can be cited. Certainly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has conferred a favor on the believers when He sent among them a messenger from themselves who recites to them His revelations and purifies them and teaches them the book of wisdom. Meaning that there are many things in the Quran that aren't completely described. Uh, that are described in the hadith, like salah. You know, salah, we're taught how to pray salah according to the hadith, right? Not according to to the Qur'an. That's why some people who reject uh, who reject hadith, they like only pray three times a day. They say, oh, you can do whatever you want in salah because the Qur'an doesn't talk about it. And that's not true. That's inaccurate because the Prophet ﷺ, his teachings uh, allow us to understand the religion. Then um, he talks about... Um, different narrations of the, of, of the companions uh, uh, writing down uh, the hadith. And he talks about how Abu Hurairah as well as Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As were the two forerunners in writing the hadith down. Uh, and how basically it goes back to what I was saying previously that Abu Hurairah and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As they used to ask the Prophet if it was okay to write down the hadith. And because the Prophet ﷺ approved it, that's why they did it. That's why they started doing it. Um, and then in other narrations, the Prophet ﷺ actually suggested it. Because uh, there's a narration that says that um, a companion, um, Sayyiduna Rafi' ibn Khadij said that we requested the Prophet ﷺ to, uh, that we hear many things from you and we write it down. So what do you say about what we're doing? Shall we go on writing down what you're saying? So he said... Um, write it down, there's no harm in that. Um, so in this case, he's actually strongly recommending it. Uh, in another narration, uh, it said that a person came saying, O Prophet of Allah, I can't remember your hadith. And so he said, just write it down. Write it, make it easy for you with your hands. Uh, so there's narrations that say that the Prophet ﷺ actually suggested it. Another interesting point that was that was in here that I thought I'd bring up is that uh, Sheikh Tabrizi writes in here that uh, uh, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anh reported in Tirmidhi to have said 
Prophet ﷺ got a book on sadaqah written down in his last days. It contained a hadith on zakat payable on livestock and was to be dispatched to his officers. But even before it could be delivered to them, he died. Um, and so Sayyidina Abu Bakr when he became the first Khalifa, he acted on that book. Uh, he acted on those orders written in that book. Um, and then um, basically he continues talking about the importance of writing down the hadith and, uh, and why it's so important. Uh, and how those, and how writing it down allowed the hadith to become more and more preserved by the uh, by the companions and by the tabiri at that time. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was very good, Mashal. Cool. Yeah, I got nothing to add. All right. Any questions or other thoughts? Uh, let's see. No, I think that's it. Okay. I mean, one thing to explore is what's also happening in the evolution from the Sahaba to the Tabi'een to the Tabi Tabi'een. Just like you mentioned that the Arabs had this razor-sharp memory. In part because that's what their life was. They lived in a living oral tradition. And so everything was, was done by memory. And so the Quran was turning some of that into writing. Especially, for example, if people are going to buy and sell on loan, then the Quran is saying write it down. Right. Right. And so, so Quran is adding some elements uh, uh, of writing to help minimize doubt. Right. But the evolution overall of the Ummah is shifting from generation to generation from verbal oral lived tradition to written tradition. And it's when Bukhari and Muslim come along that now written tradition starts becoming dominant. In the era of Bukhari, as well as all the way up to about 200 years old, two hundred years ago, uh, the title of a hafiz was for who? So today a hafiz is what? Someone, someone who memorizes the Qur'an. Yeah, in the era of Bukhari, in the era of Muslim. It was someone who memorized the Qur'an. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm saying it. Say it, I'm counting. Okay. Memorize, no, say it. So, someone who memorized the Qur'an, but also I think, uh, according to my teacher, it was someone who memorized 200 hadith or something? Memorized Qur'an, Bukhari, and Muslim. Mm. Meaning the whole things. Yeah. That was... Um, that's what a hafiz was. And then a qari was someone who had only the Quran memorized. Right? And so today, what is the difference between a hafiz and a qari? Uh, a hafiz is someone who has a Quran memorized. Qari is someone who uh, is able to recite it beautifully. Yeah, yeah yes. who has, who has uh, the tajweed and the tartil. Yeah. Now imagine what it's going to be a hundred years from now. Wow. Right? Looking at the direction things are going. Part of that is the consequent result of being an increased written tradition. Because if it's written tradition, there's no need to memorize. The, mem the need, the living need, decreases. Meaning even today, <coughs> when someone is becoming a hafiz, it's, I mean, more often it's the parents that are making it, but often it's the, the young person themselves the one that wants to become a hafiz or someone who's older who's doing it uh, on their own. But it's sort of like they're doing it as an act of piety as opposed to an act of scholarship. Right, absolutely. Right. So part of the reason they had to memorize Quran, Bukhari, and Muslim was to have it accessible that quickly, especially because back then paper was super expensive. Now we're in a realm where paper is cheap, but you know, if you, if you can afford a computer and a Wi-Fi connection, you get access to everything. And so what you will see is consequently a decrease uh, to the point that the definition of Hafiz al-Qadi is going to also transform. Qadi is probably going to be someone, you know, who, who knows the rules of Tajweed. 
and Hafiz is probably going to be someone who knows X amount of surahs. And, and so that's one of the, the challenges of, of written tradition, um, that it's going along uh, as, as scholarship itself uh, declines as well. So according to like the hadith then about Hufad, then does that apply to people who memorize Bukhari and Muslim, or does that apply to just people who memorize the Quran? Uh, which hadith are you referring? Like to? the the hadith that says like oh you know like the the people who uh, memorize the Quran that they'll be able to take seven people with them to Jannah. Oh, very nice. I in my understanding that is is people who have memorized the Quran specifically, along with you're going to be able to go up one level for every ayah you have memorized. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because um, I mean, obviously Bukhari and Muslim are not around at the time. Right, right. right. And then the the other the other ones are like, um, like that person's parents will have like crowns, the light Inshallah. of which like will. I'm understanding that to be memorization of the Quran specifically. Okay. Yeah. Relief. Yeah, yeah, completely. Inshallah. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubilaik wa akhirat alaminil hamdulillahi rabbil alamin.